Well, hey, good morning and welcome home. It's, it's good to gather together to sing and, and just be together. Welcome home to each and every one of you. And, you know, have you ever heard the expression, when the rubber meets the road? Right? I would assume that probably most of us at, at some point in our life have, have heard us or, or, or someone say that expression. And, and the meaning behind that expression is there comes a point where you can no longer talk the talk. You, you, you kind of have to walk the walk. You, some idea or some concept that you've been talking about, you've got to prove it. it. It comes to this point where it's tested. Maybe it looks like this, right? You know, this time of year, uh, Bills fans, they get a little excited. They talk about when a Super Bowl, right? But we all know that rubber meets the road, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I feel like I just, I can't. It's, I'm sorry. Anyway, we'll move on. Or maybe it looked like this, right? I remember when I was dating my, my wife, Ashley, we were about 18, 19 years old, and we were getting to know each other. And I remember telling Ashley, like, hey, one thing about me that's unique is I really like to cook, right? My creative side comes out when I cook. My mom's Italian. I watched her cook. I'm, I'm pretty good at cooking. And there came a point where I would tell Ashley this over and over again, and she's like, okay, Drew, it, it, let's, let's have the rubber meet the road. Let, let's actually taste your food, right? And I had to prove what I was saying was actually real. And the idea behind this, this expression, the rubber meets the road, is this. It's that point at which a theory or an idea is put to the test. And here's what I know about Christianity and church. Many people claim to trust God. But when the rubber meets the road, do we really trust God? If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. I'd encourage you to grab your devices, go to Mark chapter 14, jump into the Northridge Church app. Um, it's great to take a message on Sunday into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in your group. You can remember. So I'd encourage you to keep notes uh, today. And if you haven't been with us, you're, you're checking out Northridge Church. This is week number six of a series called Against All Odds. And, and what we've been wrestling through is just that major issue that we all have in, in trusting and it's not just our relationship with God. Like, we, we struggle just to, to trust people, right? We struggle to trust our spouse. We struggle to trust our, our friends and the people in our lives. And what happens often is that, that that baggage that we have in our everyday relationships with trust, we take it to God. And it's really hard to, to fully, completely trust God in every area of our lives. And so we've been digging deep, trying to understand what trust is and where it comes from and how we can trust in God. And we've done it by looking at person after person, Old Testament to New Testament. We looked at Noah and we looked at Joshua. We looked at Gideon. We looked at Naaman. We looked at Mary. And today we're going to spice it up a little bit because I like that, Carl. You're ready, baby. I hear you. We're going to spice it up a little bit because today we're going to look at God trusting God. Sounds interesting, almost a little bit scandalous, right? But how would God trust God? We're going to see Jesus, the Son, trusting God, the Father. And so let me catch you up. Last week we, we talked about Christmas a little bit early, right? The story of Mary bringing the Savior of the world into, uh, into the world. And Really, what's interesting is Jesus is born. If you look at his life in the Bible, there's not a lot about Jesus as a young boy. There's a couple moments, right, where he's dedicated at the temple, and when he goes back to the temple and his parents feel like he's lost, but really, we pick up Jesus' life in the Gospels at, at around the age of 30 when he begins his public ministry. 
And, and Jesus begins to heal people, do miracles. He begins to teach. He begins to tick off the religious people, and he begins to invest into 12 disciples. And we know that Jesus' life kind of pinnacles, it climaxes at the cross and in, in his resurrection. But in Mark chapter 14, we're given this window into Jesus' life and his trust in his Father's plan in this really raw moment. Mark chapter 14, we pick it up in verse 32. It says this, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And so let me paint this picture for you. Mark chapter 14, Jesus is in this area called the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been there. I've seen it with my own eyes. And it's this, it's this olive grove. There's a bunch of olive trees. It's this beautiful scenic place. And you overlook the Kidron Valley and you got a beautiful scenic picture of the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is in this olive grove and he takes his 12 disciples and he leads, leaves the majority of them here. He takes his closest friends, Peter, James, and John with them. And, and we get this imagery of Jesus where it's, it's, it's kind of messy, Jesus is overwhelmed. He's, he's, he's stressed to the point that other gospels describe him as sweating drops of blood. That's how difficult of a circumstance this is for, for Jesus. He's, he's overwhelmed, the scriptures say, to the point of death. You might ask the question, why? Why is Jesus feeling this way? Well, he knows the future. He knows the road he's getting ready to walk down. Let's talk about that road. First and foremost, he, he, he understands that one of his best friends is going to betray him for a little bit of cash. He understands that he's going to be tortured, where he's going to be whipped. His flesh is going to be peeled off of his body. He's going to go to a cross. He's going to die. He knows he's going to have to carry the weight of all of human sin on his shoulders. He's going to be separated from his father, and he's going to experience the full wrath of God on his shoulders. You could say it like this, pain is on its way in Jesus' life. He sees it. And, you know, trusting God is, is hard in normal circumstances, but can you trust God in the difficult ones is even harder. And so let me pose this question as we get started. How do we trust God when his plan for our lives hurts? How do we trust God when life gets difficult, hard, and that's actually God's plan for us. Jesus is facing that reality right here in this moment. He's stressed out. He's worried because he knows the plans his dad has for him. And you know what's true? There's a couple in our church named Kyle and Mackenzie. And little did they know they would have to answer this very question. Check this out. When Hudson went into rejection and we were readmitted and spent day after day 
with no answers. Um, our faith definitely, our uh, faith was really tested and we started to have questions and doubts and I hated it. I hated every second of that. We have spent years with this deep relationship with the Lord just to feel alone, abandoned or forgotten. And that is such a dark, scary place to be. So our faith was, and still is, if I'm being honest, um, tested on a daily basis. But we started counseling once we got home and after, after losing Hudson, we started to really memorize Psalm 13, which talks about like how long, how long Lord must this, must, must this continue? But we really started to learn about lament and how the Lord wants us to bring our grief and our sorrows and our lament mm -hmm. to Him because at the end of the day, we don't get to choose the situations we're given, but it's how we handle them that matters and how we learn and live through them. So our theme has definitely been grieving gracefully and how to get from the hurt because you have to deal with the hurt and move through it to get to help, hope, and healing. So let me, let me pose the question again. How do you trust God? when his plans for your life look like that? How do you trust God when it hurts? It's painful when you feel like he's abandoned you, given up on you, doesn't care about you. How do you trust a God that would even have plans like that for you? That's what Jesus was faced with as he's staring the cross in the face, having to trust God with the plans he has for his son. He's overwhelmed, and look what he does, verse 35. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I mean, I love this part in scripture because we get to see the humanity of Jesus. We get to see real, authentic Jesus because he knows what's coming. And so what does he do? He gets away from all of his disciples. He goes to a corner, quiet, and he just says to his dad, Dad, do we have to do this? Like, Dad, Dad, everything is, is possible with you. Like, we can draw up a different story. God, can you take this cup, the cup of your wrath, and can you remove it? Can we go down a different path? And, and we get this part of Jesus, right? Because... It's relatable because we've probably prayed that prayer. In difficult and hard circumstances, we went to God and we said, God, can we just, can we avoid this? God, do I have to walk down this bumpy wrath? Can you, can you, can you create a different path for me? That's exactly what Jesus prays. And can I tell you, we need more prayers like that in the church. Too many of us today, we go to God with these traditional prayers. Can I tell you, God just wants to know your heart. It's not a special language you preach in. It's just the raw inside of who you are. We see that in Jesus. He asks his father, can we go a different route? And here's what's interesting about this passage is the New Testament was, was written in Greek, but yet Jesus, when he prays, as he addresses his dad, he uses an Aramaic word. It's called Abba. And the translation of that word is dad or father, but yet it's deeper than that. Because here as Jesus addresses his father, he declares intimacy with his dad. He, he declares the, the depth of relationship he has with his father through this one word. And what he says is, dad, I know who you are. 
I know what you stand for, and because of who you are, I know no matter what you ask of me, you have what's best in mind. I can trust you. I can trust you, Dad, because you're, you're my Abba, you're, you're my father, you're my dad. And have you ever wondered what I had tattooed on my arm? It's that exact word, Abba. Because when my dad died, I wanted this tattoo to remind me of two things. One, the depth of relationship I had with my father and how close we were. And out of that relationship, I wanted to be close with my heavenly father. And here Jesus in this prayer, he, he declares his intimacy, his, his depth of relationship with his dad, that I trust you no matter what. And this wasn't a prayer Jesus just prayed once, like he went in the corner and prayed it, but he moved on. He prayed it three times. Three times he went to his father asking for a different route to take the cup from him. Verse 37, look at it. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. Because their eyes were heavy, they did not know what to say to him. So here's this moment in Jesus' life where he's overwhelmed to the point of death. He needs his best friends to pray for him. Hey guys, will you pray for me? I need you in this moment. He goes away and prays with his dad. He comes back and they're sleeping. He goes away again and he comes back and they're sleeping and you can almost sense Jesus' frustration. Like, guys, I need you in this moment and, and what are you doing? You're, you're sleeping? Can you imagine how alone Jesus felt? Like no one understood what he was going through and they didn't. Even though Jesus told him he was gonna die, even he predicted the future a couple times to his disciples, it just never landed. They never fully understand and so here Jesus is alone. No one understands what he's going through. I assume you've probably been there, right? You've walked through a difficult circumstance and when you needed someone close to you, they weren't there. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. I would bet that's how the buckles felt. You can't ignore the hurt and there's days that I still admit that I ignore the hurt and then it's not great because then you feel like the marathon you're running of working through your grief starts all over at mile one and mm -hmm. so we've been learning how to lament how to learn from lament and then how to live through lament and it's not something that's talked about it's often a taboo subject in churches I feel like and in conversations with other believers or non-believers it's uncomfortable grief is messy and people just would rather quick fix have a quick fix or just not bring it up. And the other thing we really struggled with too was people equating or saying that they relate. We know how you're feeling, but you don't. So we've just been working through that and with the Lord of here we are and this is where we're at, but we need your help daily because you chose this for us and we don't know why, but here we are. You see for the buckles, the rubber met the road. They felt alone, abandoned, but yet the question still remains, would they trust God? And it's the same question Jesus is facing. He knows what's ahead. He's stressed, he's troubled. Would he trust God's plan for his life? Look at verse 41, it says, returning 
the third time. So he's prayed this prayer three times. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And right here is the moment for Jesus where he had to make a decision. Would I abandon what my God has placed me here on earth for, or will I trust him? And I love that line in that passage. It says, look, the hour has come. I like to translate that, the rubber is about to meet the road. Where Jesus is going to put on full display his trust in his Father's plans. And here's what I know about life. It's really easy to say, I trust God. We do it every weekend, right? We raise our hands and we sing songs like, yes, I will. Declare your praises in the lowest valley until I get to the lowest valley. Until life gets difficult, will I praise God? It's easy to declare your praise. It's a whole other level to live your praise and your trust. Right, And, and we, we experience, just like Jesus does, moments like this. Moments where we, we, we can't avoid the pain that, that, that is in our way. Painful seasons, circumstances. And really what happens is our trust in God clashes with God's messy, painful plan. And the question we have to answer in those moments is, will I trust God or will I abandon ship? Will I trust God in every season, in every moment? And we see Jesus' answer because when he prayed that prayer three times, he declared his trust to God at the end of the prayer. Look what he says. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus says to his dad, not my way, but yours, God. And what we see here is this perfect example of trust. Right up to this point, we've looked at flawed individuals, people who are just like us, sinners, but yet Jesus was the perfect human being who gives us a perfect example of exactly what trust looks like. And really, at the, at the core of trust, this is what it is. If you want to trust God today, it's your willingness to align you, your plan with God's plan. You see, trust at the end of the day is saying exactly what Jesus said, God, not my way, not my will, God, but yours. But here's the problem with that, right? We like to try to manipulate God. And the way we do that is we create our own plan and we're, we go to God and we're like, hey, God, I know you're busy and I know you got a lot on your shoulders, you know, taking care of the whole world. And so I've kind of dreamed up a pretty good plan for my life. You just get on, you don't have to worry about me. You just get on board with my plan and we'll be good, right? And we try to manipulate God not to align our plans with his, but for him to align his plans with ours. And that's not trust, that's control. And too many of us today, we struggle with trust because we want a control of our lives. And that's why we struggle with our theme verse, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, where it says, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he not you, will make your path straight. And we've read this first six weeks in a row, and it's still hard. Because really, at the end of the day, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 just reminds us that we don't get a say, we get to submit. 
Right? When it comes to our lives as believers, we trust in the Lord. And what that means is, God, I don't need a say because I'm always willing to submit to what you have. And I'm okay with you directing the ship, not me. And that's hard. So let me ask the question again. How do we trust God in those moments of our life that hurt? And we understand that's his plan for our lives. How do we trust God then? Well, I think Kyle McKenzie give us a beautiful living picture of what that looks like. And I keep thinking too, when so often we prayed over Hudson or we lifted him up, that we prayed, your will be done. And it's definitely a hard thing to realize, like his will was not our will. It didn't line up. Right. So to, it's one thing to pray it, but also to believe it and then start to start to live that it's hard but we have to as believers say like this we know that we don't know what's best and you do um and that you chose to bring Hudson to the best possible place even though we wish every single minute of every day that I was here it's not trusting the Lord has definitely been something that we were tested on but also knew was necessary and through our counseling and through our conversations together and basically just navigating the side of um, heaven without Hudson, trust has been a huge theme, just like grace. Whether it's giving ourselves grace while we learn to trust the Lord again, or it's giving other people grace while we kind of figure out life. Um, but something I've written kind of goes nicely with this. Our sorrow, our pain, and our loss is incredibly lonely. We're glad it's lonely because we wouldn't wish this on anyone, but it's piercing silence is crippling. No one gets it and no one can fix it. No one can explain it and no one can promise it will get better. No one on this side of heaven at least. So this chapter of our life has reminded us to keep trusting the one who keeps us trusting because only he can. Let me echo the words of Mackenzie. It's one thing to say it and pray it. It's another thing to believe it and live it. And many of us, even as Christians, we've gotten really good at saying and praying, but do we actually live trust? When it's hard, when it's difficult, when it's easy, when it's messy. And for the last six weeks, right, we've been talking about this one issue that we have, trust. And we've looked at example after example. We, we looked at Noah with a boat, in, in building a boat in faith for rain he's never experienced. We looked at Joshua and believing that, that somehow the breath in, in the army's lungs would knock over stone massive walls. We, we looked at Gideon going to an army to fight against an army of 135,000 men with 300. We've looked at Naaman being cured of a deadly disease by dirty water. We looked at Mary saying, God, I'm your servant. I'm yours, whatever you have for me. And it's easy to look at the faith and the trust of other people, but what about yours today? What about mine today? You see, I think this is the moment in this series where the rubber meets the road for me and where it meets it for you. Where we look hard into the mirror and say, man, do I really trust God? Like, I'm good at singing it. I'm good at saying it. But do I live it every day of my life? No matter what God walks me to. So I'm going to ask some questions that I hope 
digs deep into the depths of your soul and helps you evaluate your trust in God. And let's start foundational. The first question I just simply ask is, do you trust God with your life? This is a question for the skeptics. This is a question for the doubters, the people who still have questions. And I get it. I, I know people like that show up every weekend online at our Webster campus and at our Rochester campus. Like, I tell you, that's awesome. Man, we are so glad that you're here and that you brought your questions. And maybe one of the greatest questions a lot of doubters have is, can I really trust God? Right? Why should I trust God? And I think we get the answer in this passage. When we look at Jesus' life, when he, he knows the future is going to be painful, hard, and it's not going to benefit him, it's going to benefit you, he walked down the path anyway. That the, the scriptures make it clear that we are all sinners. And, and I get this, right? We don't have to look very far in our life to recognize that's true. Probably just yesterday, maybe on the ride here, that we are sinners living in disobedience to God. And because of that disobedience, it creates a huge barrier between me and God. And as hard as I try to climb over that barrier, I can't. It's too big. My sin is too huge for me to fix. But God loved you enough to sacrifice his one and only son. Why? So he'd be worthy of your trust. And can I tell you, church, a God who's willing to give up his one and only son so I would trust in him is a God worthy of my trust. He gave it up all for you just so that you would trust God. And so for you who has questions and doubts, what are you waiting for? You trust in things a lot simpler than what God has done for you. And so maybe today is the day where you put your faith and trust your life in the hands to, of a God who loves you. Where you just admit, man, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, but yet I have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he went to that cross and he rose again so I could trust God. So why wouldn't you make that decision? What's holding you back? Do you trust God with your life? But yet it goes way deeper than that. I believe many of us today, we've already made that declaration. We trust God with our lives, but yet I think there's areas in our lives as Christians, Christ followers, disciples that we don't trust God with. Can I ask you, what area of your life don't you trust God with? Right? As Christians, we trust God generically. But when God asks us of something that's hard or difficult, whew, I don't know, God. What area is that in your life, that pocket, that hole in your life that you're holding tightly to and you're not willing to surrender to God yet? I'm going to go after it a little bit this morning. I'm warning you up front. I'm going to step on your toes today and I'm okay with it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those areas. I'll talk about the number one money, finances. Can I be honest? Most Christians, not even like most Christians don't trust God with their money. That's mine, God. I've earned it. No, God gave it to you. Oh no, he, he didn't. Yeah, I did. Look what one pastor says. It says money is the most under, under surrendered part of most people's lives. It's also one of the most out of control areas in people's lives. And here's the truth. And until God has control, things will be out of control. 
Can I ask you today, if you were to give me a window into your bank account, your statement, your credit card, however you pay your bills, however you pay whatever it is that you pay, if I saw with my own eyes, could I declare that you trust God with your finances? Do you believe that 90% is actually greater than 100% because of who God is and how faithful he is? Do you trust God with your money? I'll go to my weakness, right? I know I came on to you, now I'll come on to me. Because the area I'm weak in trusting God is with my kids. You know, when I prepped this message and I watched Kyle and Mackenzie's faith, I had to ask the question, if that was my story, would I trust God with it? Would I be okay if God took one of my children? And I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. And I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have this all figured out, right? No, I don't. Because at the end of the day, I believe that the plans that I've dreamed up for my kids are way better than God's. I'm just being real. And I would bet most parents today, most grandparents, we like our plans a whole lot better than God's plans for our kids. Why? Because we don't fully trust him. What about your marriage today or your lack thereof? Right? Do you believe that, that, that the struggle in your marriage right now, God is big enough to intervene and fix? Do you believe that God, if God's plan for your life is to be single for the rest of your life, is that God's best for you? Do you believe that? What about your sexuality and your identity? Right? That, that, that no matter what God says, even if you don't agree with it, you believe it's the best path for your life? What about your future, right? What college to go to, what job to take, what my retirement should look like, where I should live, right? Do many of us just want what we want? Are we saying what Jesus says? God, not my will, but yours. What about your big sin issues? You know those issues that no one else knows about? Those addictions that you've covered up and covered up and covered up and covered up? Do you trust that God is big enough to heal you of that addiction? Better yet, do you trust that if people actually found out you struggled with that, that they wouldn't abandon you and God wouldn't either? Come on, church. Let's be real for a second. Every single one of us, if we're real and we look in the mirror, we have areas of our lives where we just don't trust God where we're yet to say, God, your way is best, and I believe it. I'm not going to just say it. I'm not going to just sing it, but I'm going to live it. I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to trust. And so my question for you today, as, as, as the rubber meets the road, is will you trust God no matter what he calls you to? With your kids and your finances, with your future, your marriage, your singleness, with your retirement, or whatever it is, will you trust God? And here's what we got to understand is trust is messy, right? You see it in Mackenzie and Kyle's story, right? Like it's not just, the, oh, I choose to trust God and I, I got it figured out. No, trust is a daily grind on your knees saying, God, I can't do this without you. Help me trust you today because I have no clue what today is going to bring. Will you trust God? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?
Here's what I believe today. I've been praying this all week. I'm praying today that there are many Christians today that are gonna surrender that area that they don't fully trust God with. I'm believing today that God, someone's gonna cross the line of faith and put their faith and trust in, in their savior, Jesus, today. I'm believing God's gonna use a messy and difficult story like Hudson's and Kyle's and Mackenzie's story to bring honor and glory to his name. And so if you're here today, I don't care where you're watching from, if you're watching online, if you're watching at Webster, if you're watching at Rochester, if you're here today and you're ready to declare your trust in God, no matter what it is, in that area you've been holding back with your life and salvation or sanctification, our campus pastors are watching right now. Nobody else is watching. If you're ready to declare that trust, would you just throw your hand up in the air so we can pray for you? Put it up high in the air so I can see you. God, I'm ready to trust you in that area of my life. God, I'm ready to trust you with my life. What is it? You put your hand in the air. If you're watching online, just throw that emoji in the chat. I'm trusting God. My hand's in the air. Our campus pastors are going to pray for you right now. I'm gonna pray for us, God. I know in my own life, I wish I trusted you more, but sometimes I don't even know why I don't. God, you, you see the hands of your people saying, God, I'm ready to surrender. God, I'm ready to trust. It's gonna be hard and it's gonna be messy. Would you help us? Would you help me trust you in every area of my life? God, I pray for the person who put their faith and trust in Jesus today. I pray for the person who surrendered that area. I know Monday's coming. And I know the enemy's gonna try to distract us, move us, but may you help us stand firm in your faithfulness and help us to know that you are worthy of our trust no matter what comes our way. Help us in Jesus' name.